Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. Let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Welcome to Cut to the Chase. I am so happy to bring back Tom Stebbins. He is executive director of the Lawsuit Reform Alliance of New York. And we're here today to talk about the wrongful death Act, a.k.a. the Grieving Families Act. Who could possibly be against it with a name like that? Uh, but I, I put it in the chapter, you know, it's like chapter 47 of the book called Why It's So Expensive to Live in New York State and Why It May Get Even More So. So, Tom... Um, I want you to, first of all, welcome. It's nice to speak with you again. Thank you, Laura. Great to be with you. So I just want to kind of give an overview, and you tell me if I'm right. All right. So the old bill, this is covering like if your loved one dies in a car accident, for instance. Uh, you, this, is, this has to do with how much you can recover in damages. And under the old law, which, by the way, was enacted in 1847, so it's not that new, uh, it, it limits compensation to a cash payout. I mean, basically in a civil lawsuit for families who lose a relative in what is determined to be a wrongful death in, say, a car crash. So there's blame cast and proven, and then, you know, they have to pay X X amount of money in damages. So the new bill would kind of rely more on emotion as opposed to fact. It's more subjective than it is objective, and it also could cause costs for hospitals, governments, insurance, all of these costs to rise, which of course are passed on to the consumers and the taxpayers. Is that that the gist of it? Is that correct? Yeah, so it would open up these cases to more kind of these subjective pain and suffering awards. And the challenge with that is we already have the highest medical costs in the country from a liability perspective. We always have, already have some of the entire insurance costs already. And there's already so many ways that people can recover in these cases, right? So you can sue for loss of guidance. You can sue for what is called survivorship. You can sue for the loss of consortium, which is, a, you know, the loss of a, of a spouse and the relations with a spouse. So you can already sue for all these sorts of things. And the New York market has essentially priced that in, in the sense that we are already paying more for medical liability costs in New York than anywhere else over an average of, of five years. We already pay more, not just in total, but also on a per capita. And this bill, by actuarial estimates, would increase that by 45%, which is a large number when you're wow. already dealing with the highest cost medical liability costs in the country. 
Now, this bill was passed last year by the both branches of the le- of the state legislature. The governor vetoed it. Um, Correct. Now they have passed it again, and it, <laughs> it is awaiting Governor Hochul's decision. No decision has been made. Now, she vetoed it last time, uh, writing in the Daily News that it was missing, the bill was missing a, quote, serious evaluation of the impact of these massive changes on the economy, small businesses, individuals, and the state's complex health care system. Now, she was criticized for publishing this op-ed the day that she vetoed it and that perhaps she could have made a better case for it. I don't, we don't need to argue that here. Uh, but have we heard anything from the governor on this since this was passed la- uh, just earlier this month? Well, what she did, what she said last time was that we need to do a serious cost analysis for what this cost. And then the legislature passed it again without what is known as a fiscal. So they essentially said this will have no fiscal impact. Which now, is the challenge with saying that. Go right. ahead. I was just going to say, but that's that's clearly not the case. So I, they, by law, if there is if there is a new rule, a new law that there is passing, they have to talk about the fiscal impact to the governments and to smaller governments, municipal governments, state governments. Right. Correct. And in this case, they did not do that. And did they say it would be say, no? Well, did they say it would be no cost? Was that their analysis or there was no analysis? No fiscal impact. Now, when the bill was vetoed, the governor received like 400 letters of opposition and support. But the critical ones of opposition were the letters from the Department of Budget. The the whole own state government said this is going to cost a ton. In addition, you had letters from all sorts of municipal entities, the Conference of Mayors, the Association Mm. of Counties, the Department of Health, all of these different groups came out and said, this is going to cost so much money. And then the legislature passed it again without a fiscal and said, this will have no fiscal impacts. Well, Again, the calls coming from inside the House, all yeah. sorts of municipal entities, including the Department of Budget, said that this was going to have a significant billion dollar, multi-billion dollar impact. And yet the legislature essentially ignored that, did no fiscal analysis of any kind. And again, that's why we believe that the governor should veto it, this again, because essentially the legislature thumbed their nose at her and said, look, we're not going to do our fiscal analysis. We're not going to do the job that we were required to do. Yeah. We're doing no homework at all. And so, but yet we want you to pass this. And they say that they have made some changes. The changes that they made are so minor, and some of them, in fact, would increase the cost. So one of the things that they did was include the possibility of somebody recovering for an in loco parentis which means in the place of a parent, right? Mm. So you could see a situation where all of a sudden a teacher or an educator or, you know, it's summer right now, a camp counselor, all of a sudden being able to sue on behalf of the the person for whom they were being in local parentis. So you have these temporary people that were never never included in previous versions and, in fact, not included in any of the other states' laws regarding this or the one now last they year might be able to recover and that wasn't or the one last year exactly so more or less they, in it they say that they've scaled this back but they haven't they've actually 
in, expanded in, in some ways by allowing these new class of people, this in loco parentis groups to cover. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I understand, you know, as a former county exec, why local governments and state agencies and mayors and all of them don't want this because local government is the subject of so many lawsuits. I mean, a lot of them, you know, they, and a lot of them just get settled because it's easier just to settle than to litigate. Uh, And there's a perception out there that these, the government has tons of money that, you know, your town or your county county or your village or whatever it is has a ton of money, not the case. And, this, you know, I, I imagine if anyone can sue, if, if teachers can sue, if anyone can sue, if something terrible happens, uh, this is going to be a real hardship for them. And it's not just, you know, OK, who cares if the government gets sued? Well, guess what? You're a taxpayer. So you're the one who's shouldering the cost. The government money is your money. And that's something Absolutely. that really needs to get through. Yeah, and all of these entities are sued all the time. Any time that there's an accident, you essentially have these billboard attorneys that go out there and they sue the town. They sue the town DPW. They sue the village. They sue the village DPW. They sue the county. They sue the county DPW. They sue the state. They sue the state DPW and and anyone else in between that they can possibly find. And as you said, the purpose of that is to essentially coerce settlements get small payments out from all of those entities to drive up the cost of this. But when those settlements potentially balloon and become existential, those settlements, those payouts no longer become small. They become much bigger. And as you said, that is our money. And in many of these cases, for these larger settlements, it exceeds what the county or the village or the state or whomever is insured for. So we had a case in Amherst, New York, for example, where they were sued. Where is Amherst? Oh, Amherst, yeah, yeah. Amherst is outside of Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And they were sued and they had a $10 million policy, but the final verdict was $13 million. Hmm. So they owed that $3 million difference. And that was a massive impact on a small town budget. $3 million was a devastating hole. But it also had the compounding impact of all the nearby towns and all the nearby villages all of a sudden saying, wait a second, $10 million is not enough. We're going to have to raise our insurance premiums to $20 million so that this doesn't happen to us. Right. And then that's an ongoing cost that they gonna they are paying now year after year after year. Mm, that the taxpayers can, are paying, yeah. Right. Absolutely. And that's money that's not going to the services, the potholes, the all the things that local government does. So regardless of whether you're you know, on the left or the right, it doesn't really matter. The, the cost is we are all taking that cost and whether it's taking away from services or just taking away from the budget, it still is a massive cost. And uh, as you mentioned, all of these municipal entities get sued all the time because they're perceived as deep pockets. 
Now, the folks that uh, work in hospitals, manage hospitals that I speak to are really, really existentially concerned about this. Uh, It's the impact of last year's bill. I I read uh, an analysis of this. It would have increased the cost at just public hospitals alone, hundreds of millions of dollars, literally hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, New York State has no cap on Medicare medical malpractice damage awards, so that's going to go through the roof. It will create a lot of uncertainty in, in the insurance market, according to the New York Law, Law Journal. So healthcare is already ridiculously expensive. Insurance cost yeah. is ridiculously expensive as it is. I am imagining, and these folks are freaking out, I can say that, uh, that if this is passed, what will happen to these hospitals that are all already operating with this razor thinnest of margins? Yeah, and and will they be able to keep the doctors, right? We have yeah. so many doctors that just have said very clearly that New York is one of the worst places to practice, and the reason is the liability environment. And you can take just a situation of, let's say, an OBGYN on Long Island. Before they even walk in the door on January 1st, they are going to owe around $170,000 in insurance premium before they deliver a single baby. And that's that's part of the reason that ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, is so opposed to this because all of a sudden, you they could be dealing with massive amounts of increased liability, and they're already spending so much more than OBGYNs that just about anywhere else in the world. And so, if you're an OBGYN, you know, just as we've seen a flight of OBGYNs practicing in places where the Dobbs decision was, you know, triggered mm. these anti-abortion statutes, you're going to see similarly places people OBGYNs practicing in New York saying. Why would I practice here when I can practice in Connecticut or I could practice in New Jersey or I could practice in another state and save myself the 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 possible existential, as you said, crisis of a single lawsuit that could put them out of business? So this is a very emotional. I mean, we're talking about a very emotional issue, and I don't want to be Absolutely. cavalier about it. I mean, people who lose children who lose people in a crowd. I mean, it's it's very sad and it's very difficult. And the legislators were lobbied by families who have suffered heartbreaking losses, including the families of the five young people who were killed in a by a head-on crash on Long Island in 2021, this, this horrible case in, in a limo. So the grieving families are visiting. They're having these heart-wrenching conversations with the legislators, and you would feel like such a jerk to vote against it. So I can kind of, you know, having been a legislator myself, I understand that these decisions are sometimes very difficult. So an organization like yours, the uh, Lawsuit Reform uh, Reform Alliance, how do you give them cover? What do you say to them to say, you know what, you're going to be okay if you vote against this? Yeah, I mean, essentially, you have to show them the macro situation, the things that we've talked about already, which is that New York already spent so much on medical liability costs already. We already have the highest in the country. We always already have the highest per capita in the country. So the money is being spent. The money is, in fact, there. And so when you look at it from a macro standpoint, we have to make sure that all of that is still there for everybody who can claim. And what we can't do is just take these individual cases. That That's not really the way that, that you legislate, right? We legislate for the good of 
all New Yorkers. And that's really what what that's the message that we're trying to carry is that, you know, we need to make sure that we improve the medical environment for the good of all New Yorkers and the liability of all New Yorkers. Now, if there was a discussion of let's have, as most of the other states that have a similar statute to this one, the one that's being proposed, a cap on damages, well, then that's a discussion, right? That's something that they could do to potentially mitigate the impact of this potentially devastating law. One other emotional aspect is under the current law, the 175-year law, a lot of the damages are based on what this person would have earned had they not died. Uh, now, you know, they're saying, but this devalues this devalues people who are children or maybe they're disabled and they can't earn a lot of money or they're retired or whatever. And that, you know, the, the message, well, every life is important and every life has meaning and, and, you know, pain and anguish are something that should be compensated. How do you argue against that? Well, of course, every human has value. But so, so you know, how do, is that something that you've heard from people saying, look, I, I got to vote for this because, yeah. because, of, because I don't want people who are disabled to feel that they're less than? Right. And again, I think that's another reason why caps would make sense, right? You would have a certain amount of consistency. Unfortunately, the way our system is built is that we have always, in all contexts, essentially compensated one group more than another. And there's not a lot of consistency in our system. Whereas if you were to have caps in place, you would have that kind of consistency. Everybody would be treated equally. Everybody would be treated equitably. And mm. that, I believe, is it would be a better solution than to say that, you know, every than, than to do something like this bill does. Are caps realistic in this climate? Is that something that you're lobbying for? You know, so many other states have done it, including the state of California, which hmm. is not really a bastion of conservative <laughs> no. legislation. No, like, they're much so, worse than us in that respect. Right. So California has done this. And California is consistently in the bottom on the per capita total payouts on medical malpractice, on insurance, because they have instituted reasonable caps that other that so many other states have. So, huh. you know, it's obviously a difficult environment. The power of the people pushing on this bill, which is notably the the New York State Trial Lawyers Association, which is essentially the well, yes, the I wanted to ask you about that. Yes, I mean, sorry, but yeah, finish your so thought. they're the you know they're the main lobbying push behind this. They obviously want to increase their fees, uh, and that would be something we could also do to make sure that people got more money. Decrease the fees that the attorneys get. Right, they are getting. 33% in some cases. And that's a huge amount of money when you're dealing with a $10 million, $20 million mm. case. That is a massive, massive payout. And so, and, and essentially that's taking away directly from the injured person or their family. That money is directly out of their settlement. So that would be another way that we could ensure that these families and these relatives could get more money is to reduce the amount that the attorneys are allowed to take. How much is this bill being driven by these personal injury and other kinds of attorneys who stand to make so much money? 
Oh, almost entirely. I, Governor Cuomo previously uh, called them the most powerful political force in Albany. Wow. Uh, and that was Governor Cuomo, who yeah. I would think <laughs> Understands he would be one of the most powerful <laughs> forces. And mm. he was not a man to relinquish power easily Mm-mm. or say that others had it. And yet he said that the that the New York State Trial Lawyers Association or the trial lawyers writ large had that they were the most powerful political force in Albany. So they are a massive special interest that people don't think about. But no, and they write serious checks. They have a lot of money to spend on those billboards and on those daytime ads and on those bus ads. And Mm -hmm. and they put a lot of that money into Albany, into lobbying and into the, you know, PACs and super PACs that they then kick back to legislators. What kind of outreach, before I let you go, have you made to the governor's office on this? Well, it's not just us, right? So so we've reached out to the governor. But as I said, you know, there was about 400 entities, I believe, that reached out. And so many of them, as I mentioned, came from government, right? So many of them were the Conference of Mayors, the Department the Department of Budget. Just yesterday, a large group of medical professionals, including many medical societies and other doctors groups, reached out to the governor and urged a veto, uh, essentially saying what I'm saying, which is the costs of this are astronomical. The legislature has not done their homework. And this bill isn't demonstrably different than the bill that the governor already vetoed. So we would urge her to veto it again. And I know that the municipalities are also lobbying. And she talks a lot about how she, you know, is a former county official, former town official. So she understands this sort of thing. Uh, OK, one more question, and then, you're, and then I'll let you go. Uh, OK. Under over, what do you think she's going to do? I mean, I would hope that she vetoes it, but I, you know, I've been in Albany long enough not to not to not make any bet. But we would think she would veto it. It's essentially the same bill that she. It's already the same bill, and, and as you argue, it may perhaps even a little worse. Tom Stebbins, executive director of the Law Lawsuit Reform Alliance of New York. Thank you so much for coming and demystifying this for us. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. Have a great day. You got it. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Cut to the Chase. If you like what you hear, like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.